time for the Susan Taylor Podcast, where we discuss the yoga of mind, medicine, and healing. Author of Feeling Good Matters, Sexual Radiance, and the Vital Energy Program, Dr. Taylor imparts authentic knowledge and practical tools that inspire, educate, and empower us to be a healing force for positive change. So join us and take your life and our planet to the next level. Hello and welcome to episode 111, Taming the Mind. Today our content is from our community members to discuss some of the comments that I got from last week's podcast. And in today's episode, I'll discuss why is knowledge and practice so essential, what to expect when we do that training of the mind, and why do we need to detox the mind. Today I'd like to discuss both views, both Eastern and Western, and try to explain to you the various aspects of our mind and its modifications so that there's no confusion and you can start working with yourself. You know, as human beings, we're fully equipped and we can all attain the goal of having a clear, calm, and one-pointed mind in this lifetime. We don't have to reserve it for the next lifetime or even for someone else. You know, someone else that you might think is more better suited for it or, you know, someone that's had more training. We're all, we all qualify for this type of training. So why are knowledge and practice so essential? Well, the masters tell us that both sloth or laziness is the greatest of all sins, they say, which means insults against our intelligence. You have to work hard to learn anything. You know, for example, when we learn to read music, you know, a student will tell you that they have to work hard. You know, without working hard, nothing gets accomplished. To accomplish anything in your life, you need to have the knowledge first. And in this case, you have to know how to read music. Then you have to know how to practice whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. And finally, you have to follow it. In essence, live it. Make it your reality. If you want to work with yourself, you should start practicing and watch your activities and not be trapped by losing the momentum that you need which, you know, creates misery. And what happens is that misery and that feeling of depressed failure is really born out of inertia and laziness. So there are three important questions to ask yourself. And the first one I always, I put together and I said, the question is, have you made that decision that you want to do this? Because making a firm decision to enter in an unfamiliar zone sometimes can just take a little bit of prodding. The first question is, have you made your decision? The second, are you determined to work with yourself? You know, when you work with yourself, you are able to navigate the obstacles that may get in the way. And we want to navigate with equanimity. We always want to develop equanimity. So we don't get too discouraged, if not at all. We don't even want to get discouraged if things come in our way. So we have to be determined to work with ourselves. And the third question is, how long will it take? Well, you have to decide, how long are you willing to commit? You know, are you going to do 10 minutes a day and working with yourself? Half an hour, an hour? But we want to work in increments and have it in a real clear, skillful, and systematic way. So when you make all those decisions, then what can you expect in the beginning? Well, we all know, and we're teaching meditation here for all these years, whenever you sit down and examine your mind, there is some image that comes in your mind. Now, this image, 
that we see is within our own mind field, and that's called our imagination. You know, perhaps you're fixated on that imaginary whatever and feel unhappy. Whatever you've imagined, you're feeling, okay, this is making me, this image is making me feel unhappy. And then that image will pass. And then when that one passes, another one comes along. And often this is how we think on a regular basis. We're bombarded with these images, you know, whether they're images that we identify with happiness or even sadness. So during our day, we entertain images and thoughts like, who does that person think she is? Gosh, she dresses so scantily. She thinks that she is better than everyone else. He gets everything that he wants. Wait till she finds out what life is really like. Who does he think he is? I'm using he and she interchangeably here because it's not one or the other. So all the time you go on thinking this way and waste your time and energy. And our whole purpose of human life is defeated then because no one teaches us how to use this brief span of life that we have, which is very short, and so that we could have a very productive and creative and fulfilling life. The masters tell us there is a way. You know, this brief span of life can be utilized and in this lifetime, we can attain actually what our real purpose of life is. And we can become what they call self-realized. That really is knowing yourself. So if we move on to taming the mind, you know, many of us think that the mind can't be tamed. It can't be polished, it can't be used, and it can't be made useful. We just say, ah, it's no use. But this is not true. Some of the great people have done it before us, and many of us want to, but we just don't practice. You know, we have to understand something about the mind. You can easily understand the mind by understanding your thought patterns. That's the whole idea here, being mindful of your thoughts. A thought comes, and then another one comes, and another, and another, and another, and it keeps on going. And if you study your brainwave patterns, you'd find that there is a space between those two thoughts. And if you can eliminate that space between the thoughts, there would only be one thought. And that's the point of meditation, that space between the thoughts. So I'm coming up with a class called Detoxing Your Mind, and someone had asked about that. So what do I mean by that? Well, detoxing the mind or cleansing the mind, and this is part of taming the mind too, means that we create space in the mind. And to do this, we must learn to train it, just like training. I worked with animals before, so I'm going to use a young puppy here. You know, a puppy must be free to play for a few minutes before starting its learning or its obedience training. And you have to be very, very gentle, especially when they're very young. You don't really want to be giving them real things to do, but you want to give them a little bit of space to interact socially, but you also then want to contain that energy a little bit. And as they get older, their roaming tendencies tend to turn off if they're trained correctly, and they learn to become more, you know, the learning part for them becomes more fun and engaging. They're engaging now more in focusing their energy. And then the dog becomes very beneficial for your life because it's less scattered and they're happier. A well-trained animal is much happier than an animal that's just allowed to go running aimlessly in dog parks and not having any defined job pattern to do. And the mind works the same way. In the beginning, when you learn to train your attention, you may have some wandering. Actually, you most likely will. So you must allow some roaming to happen. Because the mind will rebel if you don't handle it with that TLC. So we have to see here, 
we have to do it in a controlled way. I just finished reading a great new book, Vishoka Meditation by Pandit Rajmani Tiganayath, the spiritual head of the Himalayan Institute. And for those that wanting to really learn more authentic practices, it really is a must book for your library. And here he introduces practices from ancient lineages that take into account the current climate of society as well as the mind's tendencies. And he points to practices utilizing the breath. Does that sound familiar to what we do? Of course, that because it allows your attention to move, which quenches the desire for the mind to roam. But it's productive and directed so that it can enhance the quality of mind. So you're not letting it be fantasizing and mindful of anything it wants to as it comes in. You're allowing it to roam through the body itself in a defined systematic way. And when you do that, you're really getting an enhanced benefit, first of all, with the breath, which is regulating your nervous system, as well as getting to know your own body and your own physical makeup. So that's when I always say bringing mindfulness into focus. Mindfulness is great, but it really needs to be systematized. And that has not really been uh, really focused on in this culture. So I come back to focusing your mind. Remember I said a focused mind is a happy mind. And I've said it over and over again. A focused mind can create a wonderful life for you and others and everyone around you actually. Let's use the analogy of temperature. For example, in tropical countries, the temperature often goes above 120 degrees and you can't cook your meal with that heat because it's not concentrated. Remember focus, foci, it's the hearth, it's the fire. So what you need is a concentrated source of heat. And similarly, when you train your mind to concentrate, you'll be able to transform your whole personality because always remember, the analogy of fire can transform uh, one substance into another. For example, you burn wood into ashes. So it's a transformation. Well, when we talk about concentrating the fire of the mind, that intensity, it will transform your whole personality. Even if you can't change anything in the world, you could always transform your life and it will actually spontaneously ignite that joyfulness within yourself. And there are simple methods to achieve this. And what is that simple method? It's the school of meditation. You know, the school of meditation says that if you meditate for a few days, even a few minutes every day, you'll not be sick. And that's called what we call prevention, right? I'm using illness as an example here since my work has always been about mind medicine and healing. And as many of you know that already. So I'm going to focus on that. You know, there's research going on all over the world, research on cancer, stroke, heart disease, 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 disease. And we know prevention is always better than cure. Take an example of our endocrine system. The endocrine system is a collection of glands that produce hormones that actually regulate our metabolism, growth and development, tissue function, our sexual function, reproduction, sleep, mood, among other things. It's really uh, creates the hormones and hormones mean to move to move on motion on and these chain of glands they secrete these hormones that I'm talking about into the bloodstream directly in and transport it to target tissues so there's more than about I'd say 20 steroid hormones in the body from cortisol you've heard through the stress response cortisone estrogen progesterone testosterone and we tend to know a limited amount about these but we're learning but Let's keep in mind here, how does this tie back to the mind? Well, when we control the endocrine system, then we have control over our physiology. But who controls the endocrine system? 
Ultimately, it's our mind. If the mind is put in a state of rest and relaxation through meditation, even the endocrine system can be controlled. Swami Rama, I believe it was in the 70s, demonstrated that the mind can create cancer and the mind is capable of dissolving cancer. And he did that at the Menninger Laboratory. So Western science is learning to accept the power of the mind. When we look at the Eastern and Western view, you know, they are pretty similar. You know, we all have to find out the secret of polishing, taming, and learning to have that perfect control over the mind. Because the mind is the finest of all instruments. But only a small part of mind can be grabbed. Because the totality of the mind doesn't come under our conscious control very easily, all of it, you know. Because vast part of the mind remains unknown to us. And from the Western view, it was, it was Freud that said, and there's many others that came to play, but Freud said something very definite. He said that the unknown part of the mind, when that's known, then you'll know all of the mind. So all Western psychologists did try to understand or do try to understand the mind, and so do the, so do the psychologists of the East. And whatever they say is science, and science, science is good. It's remarkable. But the interaction of East and West is the unconscious mind is like the iceberg. And we've all seen those pictures where it's hidden beneath the water, not known to us. And the tip of that iceberg that's floating above the water is called the conscious mind. And that's what everyone says, which is hidden. And that which is hidden is the unconscious mind. And when we really get closer, we find that it's not actually the mind at this point. It's a vast reservoir of all sorts of energy fields. If we look at the four characteristics of mind, we know that the mind roams around and you do not really know what to do next. I mean, many people close their eyes and they don't know what to do next. Mind will naturally run here and there. You know, you always complain that the mind runs away. We've all heard that. I've even said that. But if you know the system of when I spoke about uh, last week with the four functions of mind, the mind will not run away. You know, if you're trying to prevent the mind from thinking and say, and say, gosh, mind, stop thinking. Well, it's the Dharma, the intrinsic nature of the mind to think. That's what the mind is for. It's a catalog of thinking and a series of thoughts. So when mind has a particular movement, because that's what it's, that's its nature, you should simply learn to guide that movement according to your order of what you request it to do, like the puppy, right? You don't go and just scream at the puppy. And if you do, call me, I'll, I'll help you with some training. No, you wanna guide that energy so that it happens, or even a, a young child learning to walk, you wanna guide them. You don't wanna stop their, their progression of walking. And this is the same, the way we control the mind. You want to simply learn to guide its movement. And don't think it's impossible. You know, Think according to your plan in an organized way of thinking. Because keep in mind the characteristics that I'm going to talk about. The first one was the mind roams around. That's the first characteristic. The second one is the mind is a magician. Don't listen to your mind. You should learn to educate your mind gently and help yourself one day and have command over your mind. You know, you should ask yourself, do you belong to your mind or does your mind belong to you? Now, if your mind belongs to you, you should learn to use it correctly. If your mind belongs to your neighbor, let your neighbor look after it. If my mind is constantly thinking of my neighbor or envious or jealous of my neighbor, it means that the mind belongs to your neighbor, not to you. So that's something to keep in mind as a little, uh, whenever you're thinking something, say, whoa, where does that thought come? 
Is that the thought that belongs to the neighbor or does it belong to me? The third characteristic is mind is a great instrument and tool and it can create your hell or heaven, literally. And it could run faster than the soul for the soul is everywhere, but the mind does have limitations. But know it's a great instrument and when you really learn to train it and bring it under your conscious control, it can you can be in a very joyous state all the time. And we also know that the mind is our inner instrument and understanding the four prominent functions or limbs of the mind, then you understand it working as the inner instruments. And I went over that in the last podcast or that last episode, 110, and you can go back and re-listen or listen to it if you haven't. And so that inner instrument of the four limbs, which I'll repeat, manas, buddhi, chitta, and ahamkara, uh, all show, remember the spokes of the wheel, how that wheel, which is our body and the hub is our center of being, it's our soul, how that allows us to go through life. So the four characteristic, the mind does roam indeed, it's a magician, it's a great instrument, and it has four functions. If we look at a practical application, we realize the tendencies of our mind, we can learn to acknowledge its tendencies and then we can work patiently without judgment. And again, as I mentioned in the last podcast, when we know something about these four functions, then we know something about our mind. I also mentioned that the yogis know how to establish that coordination between those four different functions. Anta Karana, remember the big, the universal mind we're talking about here. There's no problem at all once we know those four functions. And when you really make your mind and all aspects of your mind directed and going inward, that flowing inward towards your internal state, then you become aware of that source within you. And that's where everything starts to unfold. And you learn the process of meditation. Remember, no one teaches you meditation, but they give you the tools to contact to access that inner source that's within you and then that infinite library of knowledge comes forward and that's where we learn from our own self. So what's happening today is that practice is missing from our daily life and if we practice a little bit we will get an experience and that experience will become the guide and that guidance will lead us. And if we practice just a little and have that little bit of experience we get that glimpse and once we get that glimpse, we get excited and that becomes our guide. And if we become patient and if we are patient with it, we can easily learn to scientifically explore that part of our mind, which is called our conscious mind. And as I always say, do your research. You know, if you know somebody who may need to know about the topic of this self-empowerment, which we're doing and meditation, which is so mainstream now, please share by sending a link from our YouTube videos. It would be a great help. And that brings us to the end of this episode. And you can access the Susan Taylor podcast each week on susantaylor.org, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. And join us for behind-the-scenes commentary as well as Q&A for the episodes on YouTube. And until next time, remain calm, consciously aware, living in the moment. Thanks, and I'll see you next week.